Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. I am so tired of hearing people say, we are all in this together. Like, how, 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 do, they know, how do they know what we're going through? How, how do they know what it's like to be us? This has been a tough time for uh, a lot of us. Star Wars fans, I mean. I don't know what you thought I meant. Um, what I mean here is that there are there are some Star Wars fans who are losing hope. They're losing faith because they're kind of concerned about the direction that Lucasfilm is taking things, and uh, and and there are others who think that this is totally great. They're totally happy with the direction of Star Wars. One of the things that unites the Star Wars fandom right now is Easter eggs. Now you know what an Easter egg is, right? An Easter egg is like this visual cue that points back to something that happened in the original trilogy. And um, and I thought it might be helpful if we just, if I share a few Easter eggs and see if you caught the meaning of these Easter eggs. These just come from the most recent Star Wars movie, uh, The Rise of Skywalker. So see how many of these Easter eggs that you caught when you saw it, assuming that you did. This So this melted black object right here, it's an Easter egg. They never actually mention what this is. They assume that you know that this is the helmet of Darth Vader, who happens to be the main character in the original trilogy. So that's an Easter egg. Here's another one. This scene between Kylo Ren and Han Solo, where Han Solo says, I know. That's a huge Easter egg. But it only makes sense if you've seen Empire Strikes Back and you know that Princess Leia says to Han, I love you. And he says, I know. And that's his way of saying, I love you. So when Han says to Kylo Ren here, I know. That's that's him saying to his son, I love you. It's a huge, huge Easter egg. Here's another one. Chewbacca is accused of cheating at hollow chess uh, against the guys on the Millennium Falcon. Well, that's an Easter egg that points back to a scene in A New Hope when Chewbacca is playing against R2-D2. He threatens to rip C-3PO's arms out. Big Easter egg. Here's another one. At the end of Rise of Skywalker, Rey is sitting down in this desert in front of this house that you they don't tell you whose house this is. That is the home, that's the childhood home of Luke Skywalker. Well, they don't tell you that. They expect you to know it. It's an Easter egg. Another Easter egg is these guys. How many of you caught this Easter egg? These little furry guys. So these are Ewoks. And they don't even appear in the whole Rise of Skywalker movie. But it's an Easter egg because it points back to Return of the Jedi. Because you're supposed to know that the Ewoks helped the rebels overthrow the Empire. Again, it's an Easter egg. Here's another one. Just a couple more, I promise. Here's Luke Skywalker. He's raising his X-Wing out of the swamp, which is a huge, it's a huge Easter egg. It's a huge throwback to Empire Strikes Back when Luke wasn't yet strong enough with the Force to raise his X-Wing, and so Yoda had to do it for him. So this, again, a huge Easter egg. Here's one, last one, I promise. This is Chewbacca receiving his medal. How many of you caught this one when you saw it? Yeah, I totally, I bet you did. This doesn't make any sense to you unless you've seen A New Hope. Here is just this object. They don't tell you what it is. Maz Kanata just says to Chewie, here, you deserve this. Well, what is that? Well, it only makes sense if you've seen the end of A New Hope, where after the rebels have blown up the Death Star, Han and Luke are standing at the front of this huge auditorium, and they've got these beautiful medals. And Chewbacca's just standing there without one, standing there like a goon, roaring at the camera. And you're like, well, where's Chewbacca's medal? Well, here it is. It's an Easter egg. And that's not even all of them. We could go on and on. Don't even get me started about Solo or Rogue One or The Mandalorian. 
There are some who think that there are never enough Easter eggs. On the other hand, like we've seen, an Easter egg only works if you know the story, like if you know what it points to. Like if you never saw the original trilogy, then you watch and you see these things, and you're just like, what was that? How many, just time out here, how many of you know what it's like to watch the Star Wars movies with somebody who has to pause and go, who is that? Is that important? It's the best. It's the best. There is this tension, though, among the Star Wars fans. The thing is, if, you're, if there's too few Easter eggs, you alienate the old fans. But if there's too many, then you confuse the new fans. I don't know what the solution to that is. But here's, here's where I'm going with this. I know that when, when fans lose hope, when the faithful lose hope, an Easter egg can make a big difference. All right? It can make a big difference. Now, there are Easter eggs all over the Bible. I don't know if you knew that. There's Easter eggs all over Scripture. Uh, in fact, there is a huge Easter egg embedded in this passage that George read for us a minute ago. Bible scholars have only really realized in the last century or so that that's what this is, that this is this, this huge Easter egg, and they've kind of discovered it, and it's hidden at the beginning of this passage, and it begins in uh, verse 3. So let me read this to you, and we'll talk about why this is an Easter egg. Paul says, What I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to, all, then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me. So what is this? Well, friends, this is a creed. Now, do you remember, I don't know if you remember what a creed is. We spent some, some time about a couple of years ago talking about the Apostles' Creed. A creed is a collection of beliefs. It's like, it's like the Christian faith says more than these things, but it doesn't say less than these things. These are like the essential Christian beliefs. And so this here, embedded in 1 Corinthians 15, in these first few verses, is a creed. And whereas the Apostles' Creed dates back to like the second century, this one is huge. This goes back to like the earliest days of Christianity. This goes back, we're talking like AD 30, AD 33 or so. There's a New Testament scholar, his name's N.T. Wright. He says, this creed was probably formulated within the first two or three years after Easter itself, since it was already in formulaic form when Paul received it. We are here in touch with the earliest Christian tradition, with something that was being said two decades or more before Paul wrote this letter. So, so this is a huge Easter egg. You were, If you were hearing this letter read, if you were reading it for yourself, you'd be like, ah, I get it. I get it. I see why this is important. I see what you've done here, Paul. Like, I've heard this song. I've seen this episode. Like, I'm paying attention. You've got me. But it's important for a couple of reasons. Because, like, you know how a, an Easter egg points back to something that people are familiar with, right? Like in the Star Wars movies, an Easter egg only works if people are familiar with the original trilogy. Well, it's the same kind of thing here, because Paul's Easter egg only works if people are already familiar with the story. And they were. People had heard it. It was being widely shared and received and spread all over the Roman Empire, all over the place people were hearing this creed. And it's also important because an Easter egg has to point back to something that happened, not just something that's familiar, but something that actually happened. 
So just like in the Star Wars movies, if we're talking about Star Wars again, uh, if there is no original trilogy for an Easter egg to point to, it's not an Easter egg. It's just bad storytelling. So in the same way, the creed works because it points back to actual events that actually happened. It it points back to events that people knew happened in space and time in their world. And the creed works like this. The creed works like this. It's like, okay, look, Jesus died. How do we know that he died for our sins? We know that he died because he was buried. Well, how do we know that he was buried? We know that he was buried because he was raised. Well, how do we know that he was raised? We know because he appeared to Peter. How do we know that he appeared to to Peter? Well, because then he appeared to the 12. How do we know that he appeared to the 12? Well, because after that, he appeared to more than 500 of them, of the brothers and sisters, then to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, to Paul, the guy who's writing this letter. And now here we are in 2021. And there are lots of reasons why a person might decide to reject the Christian faith. I get that that happens. Whatever that reason is, though, it can't be because this didn't happen. It can't be because this is fake. Because it's not. Like this, this Easter egg is one of the best proofs I think we have today that the Christian faith, that the Christian message is reliable, that it's historically true. It, it, this stuff really happened. This isn't a legend. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a set of stories that we tell each other to feel better. It's truth. Now, at the same time, One of the things that I'm learning as I go on in the Christian faith is that truth isn't always enough. Like truth and facts and reason, that's not always enough. Like when I lose faith, and I I do, uh, I'm, I'm not only concerned with whether or not a thing is true or whether a thing is accurate or it happened. Like when I think back to what was going on in my life when I was about 20, 21 years old, then I started sort of practicing the way of Jesus. When I did that, the main question I was wrestling with wasn't, did this happen? Like, is it true? I was definitely wrestling with that, but that wasn't the main thing. The main thing for me, what I needed to know was, is this good? Is it helpful? Is it better? Like, great that these things happened 2,000 years ago. Great that someday I'm going to get to live in heaven. That's all, that stuff is totally great. But what does this have to say to how I, about how I live my life right now? Like, does this have anything to say to the problems and the challenges that I'm facing in my life today? Here's why this is important. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking through this camera and I see the faces of people who haven't seen each other in person in months. Uh, I see people who haven't hugged another person that they don't live with in almost a year. And we haven't eaten in a restaurant. We haven't gone to a concert. We haven't been to a a movie theater you haven't you folks haven't done karaoke goodness sakes we haven't been together as a church in that whole time without masks and social distancing and hand sanitizer and questionnaires and we haven't taken communion together in person we haven't wrestled with each other's kids and i wonder if we're losing faith because sometimes i am and, and what I want to do this morning is just to take this and translate this resurrection into real hope for us. It seems to me the resurrection is like the mother of all Easter eggs. The resurrection is the mother of all Easter eggs. Because the resurrection, first of all, it looks back. It looks back at 
what was God's plan all along. And you can see this in like Daniel. Daniel was about 600 years before Jesus. And the prophet Daniel says that multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So like it was right there. About 100 years before Daniel, the prophet Isaiah says, he said, your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Well, that was there in the Old Testament all along. That same prophet Isaiah, he talks about this suffering servant whose life is going to be an offering for sin. He says that uh, though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Listen to this. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. When will that happen? When will he see the light of life and be satisfied? After he has suffered. So, so like when you hear about Jesus' resurrection, this is like this amazing Easter egg because it points back to some things that God had promised to do, which a lot of his people had forgotten. But this Easter egg is unique because it also looks ahead. This Easter egg also looks forward. So come with me back to 1 Corinthians 15 uh, for a minute, if you would. We've been saying this a few times that when we read 1 Corinthians, it's like we're reading somebody else's email, right? Now, we don't know why, but it seems that these Corinthians needed to be reminded that the resurrection happened, that it's true and it's important. We don't know why. But if, if what I, what's really cool about this chapter, I mean, if we had time, we could take it apart piece by piece and we would see that it is like, it is like a master class in logic and rhetoric. Because Paul is like, well, if there is no resurrection from the dead, how do you explain this? How do you explain that? How do you, what, how do you make sense of this if there is no resurrection? And he goes on and on. We're not going to do that today, though. For, for our purposes today, I just want to focus on the last five or six verses. Okay, last five or six verses. Listen to this, because here is where we see how the resurrection looks forward to this amazing day where God will be all in all. Paul says that in Christ, all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Okay, what's going on here? So here, the resurrection of Jesus is the first of a bunch of um, these huge cosmic events that are going to be like the end of evil, the victory of God, and all the rest of us being made alive in him. And so there's a sequence to it that that Paul wants us to catch. It kind of will unfold, I think, based on what he's just said, it's going to unfold like this. Jesus is going to be raised, okay? He's like the first fruits Okay, so check, that happened. That's done. The resurrection of Jesus, done. He's also going to come back. He's coming back to earth and he will rule. Like Jesus is going to be large and in charge on earth. And when that happens, when he comes back, he will raise those who belong to him in in verse 23. Okay, so his, his people will be raised. Then he's going to just go around wrecking his enemies, 
Jesus is like this conquering king, wrecking every like rival kingdom and dominion and evil system and every corrupt power. And, and last of all is death itself. And these things are destroyed. It says, he says that they are put under his feet, like they are crushed into nothing. But that's not the end. Because then what happens? Then Jesus, the son, he sort of like hands over the keys to God. He bows down and becomes subject. He'll be made subject to him. And, but that's not even the end. Why does he do that? What, what happens in the end? In the end, God will be all in all. Jesus hands over the keys so that God will be all in all. This is the end of the line. This is the final step in the whole cosmic sequence. This is the final answer to every question of why. Like, why did God create the universe? Well, so that he would be all in all. Why is God going to crush Satan and sin and death? Why is he going to crush them instead of letting them remain like outside of his kingdom? Why not let them live? No, because God will be all in all. Why did, why did God come to earth? Okay, well, to reveal his kingdom. Yeah, but why? Well, so that we would trust Jesus. Yeah, but why? Well, so that we would be forgiven. Why? Well, so that we would always be with him. Yeah, but why? So that God may be all in all. This is the answer to every why. Why are you and I here right now in Hamilton? Why are we in this place at this time? So that God may be all in all. This is how it ends. This is how it ends with evil crushed, with us alive forever, and with God being all in all. And I don't know if you could imagine that. This, it blows my mind. It blows my mind to picture this. And, and there's an early church father, his name is Origen, and he uh, explains what he thinks it's going to mean when God is all in all. He says, God will be all things in each person in such a way that everything which the reasoning mind can feel or understand or think will be all God. When purified from all the dregs of its vices and utterly cleared from every cloud of wickedness, the mind will no longer be conscious of anything besides or other than God. That mind will think of God and see God and hold God. God will be the mode and measure of its every movement. In this way, God will be all in all. And so resurrection is so much more than an empty tomb 2,000 years ago, although it is that. And resurrection is so much more than Jesus being reunited with his friends who were afraid that he was gone forever, although it is also that. Resurrection is all these things, but resurrection is also this Easter egg that points back to God's promises and points forward to the day where God puts into action this great, big, mind-blowing, epic, cosmic plan to put the whole universe right and where he will be all in all. It reminds me of the verse that we heard read earlier from Revelation 21. There God says that they'll be his people. God will be with them and will be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who's seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. And, and I just, maybe I, I kind of hope that from here on, 
like maybe when you hear the phrase Easter egg, whether you're talking about like actual Easter eggs or you're talking about Easter eggs in a movie, that maybe you'll be reminded of the resurrection of Jesus, like the, the mother of all Easter eggs, because it is that big. It's like it's that important. But here's the thing. When God is all in all, and when his enemies are under his feet, mine will be too. Like, here's why this gives me so much hope. When God is all in all, when all of God's enemies are under his feet, our enemies will be too. Can you think of that? Like, I don't know what your enemies are, but I know you've got some. And, and when God is everything, our enemies won't be. And it seems to me this, this Easter morning, this is a really good opportunity for us to tell them. So let me start with you, COVID-19. People died because of you. And you've stolen a year from us. And because of you, I am in reaction mode all the time. And, and every Friday, things might change and, and I'll have to relearn a whole new lifestyle all over again. You have disproportionately hurt the poor and, hurt, and, and helped the rich. You are an enemy. COVID has, has divided the culture. It's divided the church. We are not just, we're not just scared of getting sick. We're scared of being judged by each other. And, and all we want is to be together because this, this isn't doing it. And it is all so exhausting. We are, we are losing faith. But you know what? Christ is risen. We are going to come through this. And someday COVID and every sickness will be under Jesus' feet. In his kingdom, there is no COVID, there is no cancer, there's no need for ICUs or x-rays or transplants or transfusions. Everything we lost to COVID will come back to us a thousand times over when God is all in all. That's what the resurrection has to say to you, COVID. And you know what? I got a word for my bullies too. I got a word for those guys who beat me up with my brothers on the way to school. So that we just froze every time we saw you and we just waited for it to be over. Or the ones who mocked us on the school bus every day on the way to school, on the way back from school for an hour every day until even the driver laughed along with you. And because of you, I, I learned that the world is scary and it's mean and it will never accept me as I am. And because of you, I plan everything and I expect surprises to be dangerous you took that from me. You took my trust, my faith, and my joy. But Christ is risen. And God is doing a new thing. And when he is all in all, he's going to give me back everything that you took from me. And he will be my joy. And he will be my courage. And he will be my peace. And I got a word for the abusers. I got a word for the abusers in my life. And in yours. You, you were supposed to love us. What you did was evil. And we should have felt safe and cared for in our home and around you. And instead, I was scared and invisible and unimportant and unlovable. And now there's a part of me that expects to be hurt by people I care about. There's a part of me now that works extra hard to be funny and interesting and excellent. You did that to me. You are my enemy. But you know what? Christ is risen. And someday, God will be all in all. 
He will sort this out. He will give me back everything you took and make it better than ever. He himself will be our peace and our safety and our strength and our refuge. My anger is an enemy. My anger is an enemy. I can hit 10 for any reason or for no reason at all. And it feels, it feels like strength in the moment, but it is not. Anger is an enemy. When I go off on myself or my wife or my kids, that is not justice. My temper has never helped anyone, not even me. And, but, but God is doing a new thing. Christ is risen, and when God is all in all, he is going to be a perfect judge, and I'm not going to have to. My lust is an enemy. My lust is an enemy. For years, lust held me and told me lies. No one's going to find out. It's no big deal. It'll be worth it. You deserve it. Nobody else understands what you're going through. All that lust ever did is lie to me. It never delivered, not once. Lust only ever left me feeling dirty and nervous and weak and condemned. And lust, you are my enemy. But Jesus is risen. And when God is all in all, I'm going to get back everything that I lost to lust. My shame is an enemy. My shame is an enemy. Shame has been with me almost as long as I can remember. Shame has been my enemy since I was small. How about you? Because of shame, I don't listen to my feelings. I don't trust them. I don't share them. I don't take care of myself because I don't deserve to. Shame taught me that. Shame taught me that I suck, that I'm going to fail, and that if people saw the real me, they would leave. Shame says, I deserve every bad thing that happened to me, and sooner or later, every good thing that's been given to me will be taken from me. That's what you did to me, shame. All that shame ever did was make me feel bad. Shame, you are my enemy. But Christ is risen. And one day, God will be all in all, and my shame will be under his feet, and I will be on his shoulder And I could go on and on about my other enemies and yours. Depression and perfectionism and fear and jealousy and pride and and greed and consumerism. And our enemies feel like they are everything and they are not. One day, our enemies will be nothing and God will be all in all. For now we lose faith, but Jesus is risen close with this there's an artist a musician whose name is dustin kensrew and he wrote this song all glory be to christ and there's a lyric in it he says when on the day the great i am the faithful and the true the lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new behold our god shall live with us and be our steadfast light and we shall ere his people be all glory be to Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church 
for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.